All right. Well, I really appreciated Drew bringing up the shooting. Um, it's really amazing, isn't it? Trying to understand how such a thing could be, how people could do that. How could you just look out at a crowd of kids and start shooting? Um, how would you deal with that? It's, it's amazing the things that uh, people are capable of, and people means us, as amazing as that may, may be. You know, <clears throat> most of you have heard a little bit of my story. Today's not the day for all of it, but I've been in recovery from meth addiction for 40 years or so, a long time. And, uh, and, you know, a good bit of that time as I worked through the process of healing and getting better and growing and, and I became a believer, I spent a whole lot of time trying to understand why we do the things we do. Just you know, what I was specifically trying to understand was why I did the things that I did. Because I caused a lot of damage in my own way with my family and so forth. And, uh, of course, I've learned over the years that you can never get to the end. There's, there's, there's no divining the depths of our motives, both uh, for good and evil. Uh, but I learned some things. I've gained some things from that. And I just, in, with that in mind, today, I just want to ask you a question. What makes you nervous or anxious? in life. You just think about that for a second. I don't, I don't mean fearful like afraid to go to a club and get your brains blown out. I get, I get that nervousness. I get that anxiety. But I'm just talking about a day-to-day -day life. Raising your kids, working retirement, working toward retirement, thinking about retirement, wishing you could retire. Yeah, yeah you can't retire, Shelby. You're going to pastor forever. <laughs> but, but you know, we, we do run into a lot of things that create kind of low levels of anxiety that kind of challenge us to uh, walk in faith in light of them. And it's real interesting. I, I go back actually to Adam in the garden. I know that may sound strange, but you think about Adam in the garden of Eden. Uh, he's there walking with God, and I, I like to just think of him standing on a ridge overlooking a verdant valley filled with flora and fauna and animals and all that stuff. And God looking at him and saying, hey, you see all that? It's yours. How do you think Adam felt then? I don't think he was a bit nervous. We don't know. But I, my guess is, what I like to imagine at least, is that Adam looked at that and said, yes! Let me at it. I was born for this. I was designed and could feel in himself the nobility of his own creation and, and, the, and the value that God placed on him by giving him such responsibility to keep and to protect and to nurture the garden. I think he knew that. I think we're born with that sense of nobility, that sense that we are intended for higher things, that sense of value. And it's very perplexing to us when then we live the life we live. Confusing. We're, we constantly, though, are in search of that nobility again, in search of the opportunity. In fact, when you think about it, there, are, there we know that God met Adam and Eve's uh, uh, physical needs, but you know there are physio psychological needs that we have as well, right? I mean, I, I think in a way God met that need for for uh, uh, the pursuit of His image with the nobility of the challenge that He gave Adam and Eve in the garden. He He loved them. He was with them. 
And, and we can begin to trace back in that some of the things that drive us. We, we are driven to be loved and accepted, aren't we? I mean, a lot more than we care to admit, actually. We're driven to perform, to, to perform at a certain level where we're, we're meeting expectations. We need to succeed, to produce, and to perform. Those needs can really drive us in ways that, that we don't often think about. And so we can find ourselves, and it's interesting whether young or old, we either uh, have a tendency to either be looking back, regretting the past, or looking forward, worried about the future. But, it, but either way, you're, what you're doing is trying to find your place, trying to find the, the spot where your needs are being met, where you kind of review what you should have done, could have done, would have done, or look forward to what you hope you do, long to do, fear you'll never have the chance to do. It's a great question to ask, is, is what does the world fear? In light of this human reality of, of a desire to get our deep needs met uh, in, in the world around us, do you, do you ever wonder, I've heard a hundred times, probably at a funeral that Shelby was doing, people saying, gosh, I just don't know how anybody gets through this without Christ, right? Just don't know how they get through it. Well, you, you look out there and you look at the world. How do they manage it? I think that's an important question. And we're going to kind of zero in on that today because the passage that we're, we're in today is a great microcosm of, of the things that we're talking about. There's a lot of human dynamics going on. We're going to try to zero in on them just a little bit. Now, I want to remind you where we are in Acts. So uh, we passed the day of Pentecost. Uh, Peter and John have been to the, are at the temple, healed a lame man, caused a big ruckus. Now, I want you to think about that. 5,000 5, men coming to Christ. I mean, how many people do you think were at the temple that day? You know, certainly, certainly that was enough to get a real, att real attention. And so they're in there preaching like they know what they're doing. Uh, they're, they're, uh, people are coming to Christ. Sadducees hear what's going on, that they're preaching the resurrection of the dead. They come down and grab them and put them in jail. And so they spent the night in jail. Now, there's a human dynamic right there. What do you think was on Peter and John's mind that night in jail? You think they were sitting back going, oh, yeah, God's got this. Everything's cool. No, I bet they were scared to death. Filled with the Spirit, confident that God was doing something, not sure what God was doing, not sure what was going to happen the next day, wondering. I mean, you can imagine if you've ever been in jail. Even if you hadn't been in jail, you can imagine. There's a lot of uncertainty in that. And so, uh, in the passage today, we're going to pick up, after they've been in jail, now they're going to reappear before the, uh, the Sanhedrin. So we're going to pick up in verse 13 of chapter 4. I think we've got it on the screen. Yeah. Now when they, that is the Sanhedrin, the Sadducees and so forth, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another saying, what should we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them as evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we can't deny it. But in order that they may spread no further among the people, that, that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. 
but rather the, the <clears throat> uh, so uh, there were here I am. I got lost there a second. But rather than to, <clears throat> but Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. So Peter and John, common folk that they are, have caused quite a fuss. And so one of the things I want to zero in on is why would these common, untrained men be so important to the court? Why is it, what would men of wealth and position and power, uh, why would they be so concerned about what these guys are doing? I mean, they're nobody, right? They're nobody. What is, it, what is it that they feared that was going to happen here? Look back at th verse 13 for a second. It said, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. There's a couple of things going on here. One, remember, 5,000 people, 5,000 men. Men representing the heads of households. So those were, that represents households. 15,000 people minimum have been impacted by this by these two common guys. And they saw that they were common. They, they hadn't spent, their family hadn't spent a fortune getting them educated. Their families hadn't positioned them in the community, kind of in the elite network, you know, where you could get a job and if you have money, you can make money and all that stuff. And so th these, are, these are men of, the, of real power and real position, the top leadership of a nation. What is it they're worried about? Because they clearly are feeling threatened by Peter and John. Well, I think one of the things that they're feeling threatened about is something we feel threatened about a lot, and that's a loss of control. You see, you see in their position of power and prestige, they were working very hard to maintain control of their environment. Why? Why would they want control of their environment? They want to protect their position. They want to protect their family's fortune. They want to protect their family's reputation. They want to protect their reputation. And in the end, that reputation depended on the acclaim of the people. In the end, it, it depended on their performance. Look at verse 14. That a miracle occurred couldn't be denied. But seeing the man who was healed standing there, they had nothing to say in opposition. So all of a sudden, they're helpless. These two guys come in, preach a sermon, in fact, preach a sermon to them and call them to the gospel, and there's nothing they can say in opposition to it because standing beside them is the 40-year-old uh, lame person that now is healed, and everybody knows the guy. Everybody's been tithing to the I mean, not tithing. Everybody's been giving uh, charity to the guy uh, who was out there begging for no telling how many years. So everybody knew him, and, and everybody knew he couldn't walk. And now he's walking. What is it that they can say in opposition? And so suddenly they're trapped. They can't acknowledge the miracle because if they acknowledge the miracle, what are they doing? They're acknowledging Peter and John and, and, the, and the message that they just got through preaching. If they, don't, if, if they don't acknowledge it and say it didn't happen, well, there's no credibility there. The guy's standing beside them. And so God's got them placed neatly in a box. 
But, but I want you again to look at what really has them placed in that box. It's their need to be acclaimed. It's their need for position. It's their need for power. It's their opportunity that those things will present to them in the future that they're worried about. If they weren't worried about all that, they'd go, wow, look, they did it. Wouldn't they? I mean, isn't that the reasonable? I mean, it's just a, it, it, it's, it's an unreasonable response that you see that they're having. And it's a response by, driven by their fear. Right? The world, the world culture is all based on things that, that ultimately are driven by fear. And it's why Christ called them sand. Building, building your life on the values that are represented here uh, is like building your life on sand. It, 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 is, it would be like staying on the road the rest of your life. Right? I mean, why would you do that? Why would you do that? So they're feeling out of control and they fear the people. That's verses 14 and 15. They fear public uh, humiliation and their reputation, their loss of standing. In effect, they fear rejection and failure. Now, the reason this is important, and this is a principle in our culture that, that I just want to call to your mind today. We judge one another, men in the world culture, not Christ, Christian culture, but in the world culture. We base each other on the basis of our performance, accomplishments, and reputation. Don't we? Even within the church, we see that, don't we? That is not God's standard. But it is the standard of man. So what happens is, in our relationships, in our interactions, we tend to pursue acceptance, relevance, performance we want to be we wouldn't say we want to be famous but we might the truth is known i wouldn't mind being famous it probably make me feel pretty good right in in the world it's the way we perform and so we want to perform we want the opportunities to to establish our capacity and our ability we want the uh, the, the sense of accomplishment and acceptance that comes from acclaim and we want all those things, and the, power, the, the reality is we're absolutely powerless. We can't do any of that. Do you see what I'm saying? I've asked this question here before, but I want to ask it again. Tell me one thing. Huh. Tell me one thing that you really love, that, that you long for in your life, that you have any real control over. One thing. You think, well, Terrell, but you don't have any control over your wife, do you? What she's going to do? Sounds like, seems like to me she's pretty uh, plain spoken. Huh? Yeah. yeah. I know your wife. <laughs> I know her. <laughs> Our kids. How many parents in here wish they had more control over their kids? Yeah. They're grown kids. <laughs> your retirement if you're approaching retirement I mean I think about retirement I just want to cry pastor retiring how's that work the fact of the matter is we, we 
value and acclaim independence, and we are totally dependent. It's a crazy maker, and it drives us. And so what we're left with is living a life of illusion. And so we pretend we're successful, and we pretend that we're happy, and we pretend that we're loved. We pretend it. If you can't make it, fake it till you make it, right? Okay? And so uh, I, I ta I've talked about this before in our, my last message with you. We have our little silent conspiracy. Hey, how are you, Drew? I'm fine, just fine. Oh, it's great. Yeah, that's right, I'm fine. Of course, I'm trying to leave this church. I don't know if I can do it, but I'm fine. I'm fine. And so we have this conspiracy where we pretend like we're okay. We pretend like we're not struggling. We pretend like we're not afraid. We pretend like everything's going to be great. And when we pretend that way, other people accept our pretense and they pretend too. Is that not what we do? And we live in this, end up living in this superficial world that, that has no real touch with reality. Because reality is, life is really hard. And reality is, we fail. That's the reality. The reality is, I have evil inside of me. It drives me nuts. These thoughts go by in my head. And it's like drive-by shootings in my head. What is that? The reality is, we don't feel worthy or acceptable. That's the reality of our life. And so it's a, it's a kind of insanity that the world uses to approach dealing with their needs. But Peter and John had a basis for more confidence than that, didn't they? See, what Peter and John knew, it's what we need to know, is their value as a human being doesn't depend on how they perform. It doesn't depend on how many people uh, like them. It's not a popularity contest. So then what does it depend on? Do you know you are so much more than anything you do? You are so much more. God spoke that into me one time and, it, and I, I just I shook my head and I thought, what? But the reality is the value that God has placed on you is far above anything you could possibly accomplish in this life. Way beyond. The love that He has expressed for you is far beyond anything you could win if every human being on earth were to bow down before you. Think about it. If God says you're gold, Shelby, you may be Shelby, but you're gold. Yeah, that's it. If God says you have value, then the, the reality is you are worthy of more praise and more honor than you could receive in this life. Now, some of you are going, well, wait a minute, preacher, wait a minute. All goes to Christ. Yes, it does. That's the basis of it. But you know who you are? You're his little brother. You're his little sister. How many kingdoms have been inherited by an adolescent who hadn't even met his majority and all the people recognized and, and submitted to his leadership because not of what kind of person he was, but because of who was his dad. Who's your dad? 
That's what John wrote. He says, I can't, I can't believe we, we are children of God. We are children of the King. That's what gives us value. That's what gives us strength. That's what gives us hope. That's what John and Peter knew. So, hopefully they comforted them, themselves while they were in jail, reminding themselves of who they really are. And they were able to stand in front of men who were theoretically their superiors in every way and be bold. Look down at... Um, Verse 19. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. Duh. Right? And so what Peter and John are saying is, is the, the uh, Sadducees are attempting to exert control. They're attempting to use power to control what, they're do what Peter and John are doing, to control their situation, to control their environment. And Peter and John said, yeah, well, good luck with that. Right? Good luck with that. They go on to say, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen rather <clears throat> and heard. And when they had threatened them further, they let them go, finding no way to punish them. You see, Peter and John knew God personally. That had personal relationship with him. They'd spent time with him. They'd grown. Remember Peter, the one who denied Christ three times? There's no denial here, is it? Do you think Peter was aware of that? I bet he thought about it. There's no doubt that the filling of the Spirit empowered him in that moment in a unique and special way. But it's a filling of Peter's Spirit which has been developed in his relationship with Christ over time because he was with him. Peter was with him, so he knew God personally. He understood the promises that were based on that relationship. The promise to love him no matter what. The promise that he didn't have to perform, Christ had performed for him. The promise that when God dealt with him, he dealt with him as if he was dealing with Christ himself. Their experiences with Christ over and over and over again, reinforcing in them those beliefs. So that in that moment, that moment when they needed to be bold, they could be. And it was a function, as I said, of the Spirit's power working within them. All of that comes from really experiencing God every day. Experiencing Him. It's so, so difficult to maintain the passion and the ardor of our youth in our relationship with God, even if we're relatively young. So many things to distract. So many cultural values that are uh, incorporated into our lives that we don't even recognize and understand. And so we get distracted, we get tired. And so when the moment comes, sometimes we don't have the energy to be bold, as Peter and John were. The thing that I would, I would encourage you with today, uh, among others, is uh, spend time with God. Spend time with Him. Figure out what that means. You know, if you look, 
if you're really paying attention, you can see him everywhere. But you got to look. you got to be mindful. And, and to understand, if you want to have the courage of your convictions, if you want to have um, the power of faith in your life, you've got to be experiencing a love relationship with a being you can't see or talk to. I think that might take a little work to do. But having done that, having been filled with the Spirit, having been uh, experienced in uh, the dynamics of a relationship with God, in seeing the, the value of the culture that God created within the context of the church as opposed to the world's culture, having seen all those things, then what we would do is join with Peter and, and, uh, and John and say, we can't help but speak. Are you kidding? He's got legs. Who's not going to talk about that? I'm going to talk about that. Because God did that. And it means something. And so you can say what you want to say. You can do what you want to do. But I, but I, can't, help, I, I can't help it. And see, we worry about the opportunity to spread the word of Christ or to deal with issues. Or in, in a lot of cases, the people I work with every day, whether or not we can ever change. Whether things can ever be different in our lives. Let me tell you something. When you've experienced the presence of the living God and you've really saturated yourself in that over time, you can't help but to grow. I, I'm proof. Because <laughs> I'm telling you, I was one messed up kid. And God invaded my life and has, has continued to invade it all these years. That's what He does. And so you don't have to sit down. I mean, if you do, it's fine. But you don't have to sit down and outline what you're going to say if somebody asks you about Jesus. You just say what you feel. Say what you think. If you've been feeling and thinking about it. John 14, 25 through 27. I think we've got that on the screen. Here's what Jesus said. But you... Oh, that's Jeremiah. That's not John. Let's have John. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave you, my peace I give you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Saturated just kind of boiling in the love and the depth of His promises. And then Paul says in uh, 2 Corinthians, For the love of Christ controlled us, controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, and therefore all have died. See, Paul's saying, he's, he's highlighting his ministry in this passage of Scripture, and he's saying, you don't get it, I can't help it. The love of God motivates me and pushes me. You know, for years I tried to figure out why the consequences of my behavior would not control my actions. Because if it had, I wouldn't have done the things I did. And I, I discovered that, you know, uh, while consequences has some impact on our decisions, the reality is the consequences of my behavior haven't keep me, kept me from sinning a single sin that I have sinned. 
And so what, what will motivate me to overcome my sin? What will motivate me to speak with boldness? And I'll tell you what will motivate you. The love of Christ. But you've got to experience that love to know it. And to know you have to know that love in order to be controlled by it. But that's what Paul's saying. I'm convinced that since one died for all, we all died. There is no punishment. There is no separation from Christ. There, there is uh, nothing that can separate us from the depth of His love. And, and that begins to, to pour out because it's seeped in. Well, it's clear, and I, I think y'all see it. We face the same challenges that Peter and John did in that moment. We face them every day. We may not have to come before the Sanhedrin. <clears throat> I do have to occasionally come before my wife. Not that she's the Sanhedrin. I didn't... <laughs> yeah, please don't tell her. <laughs> but we do. We have, you, you know, here's the deal is I need her love. And I put pressure on myself for fear that I might lose it. We face challenges like that every day where our integrity is at stake. And our tendency, if we live by the world's uh, cultural, cultural values, our tendency is to take our moral flag and, and we put it on, on a little roller and we can just roll it around. And so if this is what makes you happy, that's who I am. Yes, sir. Oh, oh, you know, oh yeah, no, yeah, this is, it, we'll go this way. We tend to just move that moral flag wherever we'll get the most popularity and acclaim. But Peter and John had their flag, flag planted. Christ is the answer. Christ that gives hope. Christ that gives us power. Christ that gives us the ability to change. Christ that gives us the courage of our convictions. And so my challenge today for all of us is real simple. You know Jesus? He's a nice guy. Everybody liked him. Well, most people. Have you spent time with him? Do you know how? Do you, do you know the process and the approach? Are you stuck in an old religiosity full of routines and rhythms that no longer have power and meaning? Are you still stuck in the world's culture? And so you're nodding on Sunday morning, but you're really still living by performance and by acceptance. Big challenges. Just as big a challenge as Peter and John faced in that moment. Well, in the same way, we need to spend time with Him. We need to learn Him. We need to, to understand the depth and the breadth of His love. Can I pray for us? Lord, we love You. We, we don't love You well. And, and uh, sometimes we can be uh, fair weather in our love but we love you. And I, I just want to pray for our church. God, I, I pray that the years of training represented in this room, the knowledge and the depth of knowledge, and the, the enthusiasm and the, the exuberance of uh, the younger folks we have coming now, Lord, I pray you would put those two together and allow us to come alive and be passionate for you. And to be passionate in our pursuit of our relationship with you. And God, I pray that, that you would help us to grow. Help us to get better. 
Help us to, to never lose that longing uh, to be perfect in you. And God, I pray that, that you would uh, grant Drew and the elders wisdom as they make decisions, that you would give us a supportive spirit, and that, God, that we would go out into the world around us, the world where 28 people can get shot in a, at a concert, and bring your love, that we could be bold, that we would be bold in our aspirations and bold in our uh, spiritual depth and bring hope and healing to our city. In your name I pray. Amen.